0: There are so many pieces to a music scene and culture. The artists, the venues, you know, theaters, concert halls, bars, the marketers, producers, fans, and people behind the scenes. Fans don't get enough credit, but believe me, the people behind the scenes, they don't get enough credit either, big time. They're the people that set the foundation, a support system, and an ongoing message for the music scene. One of those behind-the-scenes individuals in Dallas-Fort Worth is Bucks Burnett, He has worn many different music hats over the years and has an amazing and active Rolodex of contacts in the music industry. I'm talking with Bucks at his 14 Records music store located on Garland Road, just east of White Rock Lake. Muddy has handed the microphone over to Bucks so that we can get this fascinating interview underway. Amy, let's get it rolling. This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people
1: behind the scenes. Are you listening?
0: All right, campers. I'm here with Bucks Burnett, one of if not the premier music industry name dropper of North Texas. He met Tiny Tim, J- 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 Jimmy Stewart, Al Hurt, Freddie Mercury, and Jimmy Page, to name just a few. He founded the 8-Track Museum in Deep Elm a few years back. That's where I first met Bucks. It was a fantastic journey one going through that and buying some stuff from him there. And he's now opened 14 records. Uh, the record store is located at 9022 Garland Road, just northeast of the Arboretum. And, and it's straight across the street from Hypnotic Donuts and uh, what's it, their little ice cream bar, this Hypnotic Ice Cream Bar or whatever is also Something right like there. Yeah, one of those is right there. And as I sat down and got the mics set up, I looked up and right above me is the famous Beatles Yesterday album that was published in England, which is where they're all in like doctor suits and there's... Baby dolls, headless baby dolls drawn around him with some raw meat. it was uh, soon asked to be changed for some reason i don 't know why you know it was a pretty good artistic statement I felt so he 's got some phenomenal stuff we 've got a uh, young patron who walked through the door a second ago, and they 're picking up pet sounds for sure. so this is a great place to come before we dig into your new business, fourteen records let 's discuss how you got into your love for music and, uh, and then in turn the ability to get in front of rock stars bucks.
1: Uh, how did I get into music? It, it actually got into me. Yeah. I was raised on KLIF, one of Dallas's classic AM pop rock soul radio stations from the 60s. Yep. I was born in 1958. I would say by 10 years old, 1968, I was a hardcore music fan and bought my first 45, which was Ball of Confusion by The Temptations, Okay, which I heard on KLIF. So was that, was that Motown, a Motown record? Yes. Okay. And then, um, how did I start meeting rock stars? I was 14, and my hero was Alice Cooper, and I decided I wanted to meet Alice Cooper and his band. Yes. And I uh, was just synchronistically was starting my first night as a wandering the all ice cream salesman at Memorial Auditorium, now known as Dallas Convention Center Theater. Right. And we were required to show up at four o'clock to sign in with the ice cream manager and if you weren't there by four you didn't get to work that night okay and so uh showed up for signed in and i had uh borrowed some of my mother's mascara and i went to the bathroom and did my eyes up like alice cooper good because i wanted to sell ice cream with alice cooper eye makeup and i just started walking around and i'd never heard of a sound check but the I, little did I know, the band was there walking around, and I met the drummer Neil Smith, and he took me under his wing, took me backstage, oh, gave so me a cool. tour. This is during the Billion Dollar Babies tour, which to date is one of the most theatrical shows ever
0: produced. Is that the famous Chop the Head show? Or
1: Well, that's not when it started, but he did do that that night. Yeah, And um, so he gave me a personal tour. of. I got to see all their props, and he introduced me to the bass player, and he was going to introduce me to Alice because he thought Alice would like to see my makeup, but his legendary manager, ship Gordon kicked us, kicked me out before that could happen. All right. right. But I did later meet Alice in 1990. So because my first attempt was successful, it made me delusional and made me think, Oh, you just try to meet him and it'll work at the next time. I tried to do that at a Led Zeppelin show. It didn't work.
0: Right, I can that was imagine. lesson number two. Right. Do you know what t- what year that was? I may have been there.
1: Uh, both shows were in 73 in Dallas. I Nin- saw them a couple years after. Yeah, that. Yeah. And so basically, I became obsessed. <clears throat> it was very important to me to meet. I decided, after meeting the Alice Cooper Band, to meet all of my heroes. And I've devoted my life to that, and I've met 90% of my heroes.
0: That's all right. And I hear, hear Jimmy Page is one of the ones that you definitely wanted to meet, right? And you got and you achieved yeah, that. Yeah,
1: he was pretty top of the list. Yeah, and I had a very um, fateful encounter with him through a mutual friend in 1985, and we've been great friends ever since. Really? So, in so fact, you, you and
0: Jimmy Page are still in com- in communication? Yeah. In
1: fact, when Led Zeppelin reunited in London in 2007, yes. He put me on the guest list and gave me backstage passes.
0: Kick ass! Doesn't get much better than that. That is awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. So, any is Jimmy a pretty relaxed guy behind the scenes and the cameras are off and everything, or what, what's Jimmy like behind, You know, when he's relaxed,
1: he's super chilled out, super kind when he's not throwing a tantrum.
0: Okay, but, but he, his tantrums are the minority of the picture. Good.
1: Probably he's a, Bat- he's, he's a moody guy. Most, yeah, most I, geniuses are.
0: Right. I mean, he's, I want it this way, and it's going to be this I way. I quickly
1: found out if I was going to hang out with iconic rock stars. Right. It's like hanging out with Batman. Batman's not always in a good mood.
0: Right. Right. So you got to be prepared yeah. for them going. But
1: Jimmy is a great guy. He's been very, very kind to me for 30-plus <clears throat> years now.
0: That's so cool. In
1: fact, I was in London in 2012 and went to his house for a couple hours. Just hung out with him.
0: That is so cool. I love it. I love it. Then Tiny Tim, I hear Tiny, and I see a behind me here. I see a Tiny Tim uh, bag, shopping bag, shopping bag. Yes, yes.
1: Um, I'm Tiny played Dallas in 1982, and I'd grown up watching him on Laugh In. I saw his wedding, and I thought, you know, in 1982, everybody had forgotten about Tiny Tim, and he played a little club on Greenville. And I thought, how weird would it be to go see Tiny Tim? And then I thought, oh, I got to meet him too, and I, I want to interview him. Yep. So I took a little tape recorder, and we ended up doing the interview at 3 a.m. in his hotel room. Went great. The, to date, the most surreal experience of my life was interviewing him at 3 a.m. in his hotel room. And uh, we kept in touch, and I was his manager and one of his producers the last 10 years of his life. I produced his really? final album, which is called Girl, recorded with Brave Combo from Denton. We recorded it all in Denton. And it came out just a few
0: months before he died. Uh, Excuse me, what, what year was that? 1996. He died in 96. Yeah. So who is the, I guess, the hardest to meet, the most challenging? David Bowie because he's dead. But you, I, you haven't met David. Is that what you're saying? No, and I'm I, spiritually, I,
1: you've met him. I though. want my money back on my entire existence because I never got to meet David Bowie.
0: <laughs> but um, that may be challenging. You yeah, have to talk to somebody at the Pearly Games Keith Richards has
1: proven hard to meet. I haven't met him yet, but it's down to a very small list of people I lose sleep over That's about good. meeting. You know.
0: Keith Richards is top of the list. I know. I agree. I agree. He's, he's, I just love watching him on Instagram and et cetera. That character is to be fair.
1: I made a list a few years ago and I met like well over a hundred rock stars that I've always wanted to meet. Some of them extremely iconic and I'm blessed to be friends with several of them to this day and uh, had a fortuitous meeting with Bob Dylan when I was a teenager on the streets of Dallas and I didn't ask for an autograph. We just stood there and chatted and he just was totally relaxed couldn't have been any nicer and you know just sometimes it's accidental like that right or fateful yeah, that right. was a simple twist of fate.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think I think his lyrics grew out of his uh, high school years at in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, where I was born and raised. Mm. He, he was, as you well know, he's from he's from Minnesota, right? And he came down to Sioux Falls for a year or two. And did he, not know that. Yeah, he's in the he's he's pictured. Bob Zimmerman is pictured in the annual. I don't. Yeah,
1: that's a classic photo too of him in the annual.
0: That annual. That's a good. I, I think that's the one from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That I don't annual, know for sure, but that I think annual's worth a lot of money. Oh, that's a crack up.
1: Thank God he went to high school or he never would have gotten
0: anywhere in life, right? Right. Absolutely. No question about it. Right. And thank God Bill Gates went to high school because I mean yeah. college would have just been a waste of his time to have gone on to on there. Do you yourself play an instrument?
1: Yes. Uh guitar and vocals and I write and I put out I've put out two albums. The first one was twenty years ago in nineteen ninety eight under the band name the Volares. Okay. Not named after the Happy Song, but after the Plymouth Automobile. Oh, okay. All right. And uh, made two albums, and I'm a professional songwriter. I've had a few songs published. Good for you.
0: All right. I think, um, uh, you know, I'm drawing a blank. Paul Williams. Paul Williams with State Fair Records. He knows you. You know a lot of people. He may not. Yeah, he he uh, he went last night and saw the Culture Club. Right. and and said they were phenomenal said they yeah. were just absolutely he, he said he was not a, he thought the B52s were going to be the headliners right and then he got there and Culture Club was the headliner and he said he was absolutely blown away
1: i think boy george is on, at the top of his game they were never one of my favorite bands but i think that guy's a genius of survival and reinvention yeah and immensely talented i'd like to meet him someday
0: yeah paul was absolutely blown away you're a very eclectic guy am i uh, yes you are am right. i Yes, you are. Absolutely. You can put it on your business card if you want. Am I, mutter? <laughs> I first met you at the 8-Track Museum. T- tell us about that endeavor. I mean, I, I kind of, here I am at your record store, but I'm kind of wondering, I would assume you still have those 8-Tracks around. Well, a side, side question is, where the heck are you storing all this stuff? But, but tell us about the 8-Track um, Museum.
1: Well, let's start with the storage. Uh, I've got about 3,000 amazing 8-Tracks in storage at a friend's business in Irving. The museum was open in Deep Elm from 2010 to 2015. Right. And was an that was an amazing place, an amazing experience. I miss it
0: every day of my life. It was a real treat. I mean, I loved, I called I'm you. I'm thrilled that you were there. I ca- you got to see it. I called you up and you said, meet me around 2 o'clock, I think. Or maybe it was our magic time of 3 o'clock like it is today. I didn't have regular hours then either. No, you did <laughs> not have regular hours then. Although you're more regular now. I mean, mm, you well, say, you're usually here around 3, right? four days a week
1: <laughs>
0: but three can
1: three can turn into four or
0: five right depending on my mood that's, right and, that's my, right and my to-do list that's right but you took me through the history of the 8-track mm-hmm. and and you dug deep into that, that interesting technology just a format yeah but the museum was also
1: about not only other oddball formats it was I had a display of every known re- recording format invented in chronological order on a wall there it was a very small wall but to me it was about promoting all mediums of recorded music that were sold to the public because i i've always felt that was important
0: yeah to keep that history
1: well yeah i mean yeah. you know people may disregard the 78 or the eight track but guess what the 78 and the eight track tape were both the vehicles in which Bing crosby traveled to the cd and to the download absolutely all these media all these media formats are vehicles and they get music from the past to the future right well I've that got, I've... my friends is an analogy
0: yes it is maybe a bit of a metaphor were you ready young lady all right we're gonna take a break while this is... oh my goodness she's buying 40 albums <laughs> all right here we 40 go Forty for the price of 41 all right we'll take a break here for a minute hey we're back muddy moved aside So that uh, Beth, a nurse from Scott and White, could buy those forty albums, and she picked up some winners. uh, Darkness. Sadly,
1: they were only ten cents each.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, right. But they were they were steals. I mean, you got the Bruce Springsteen. Darkness at the edge of night, and then Pet Sounds was, and you you played it a little bit for just. I thought it was fantastic, and then she picked up a Paul a Simon it was Simon and Garfunkel and some great hits. Yeah, yeah, that was great.
1: All three for fifty bucks. Is right. Vintage was, pressings. That's a good deal.
0: That's a damn good deal. And Muddy is happy to give uh, Bucks the mic for the second time around, and here we go. So, we also learned. During that break, that you feel that you are you are deserve some royalty for the movie High Fidelity, right? With uh, all the royalties. John Cus- John Cusack? all the royalties. Why? Tell
1: me why. Well, this business that we're doing this wonderful podcast in, uh, fourteen records was actually it's a revived version of a business I had in both Denton and Dallas from nineteen eighty eight to nineteen ninety five. Okay, back then. I had the same exact two employees that are featured in the movie. <laughs> they both were just like those guys in every way. In fact, I fired one of them two days before we closed.
0: So you had a Jack Black character. Did he was he able yeah. to actually get on stage and sing too, like like the Jack Black character did, or was he just more that the obnoxious character? in He the was never
1: off stage. Oh, he was never off stage. He was never off stage, which is a kind of a problem sometimes.
0: Yes. Yes. Hey, we do need to sell something, Herb.
1: But the High Fidelity was a very uh, accurate, mostly accurate rendering of what it's like to own a little independent record store. Yeah.
0: Oh, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, that's, I, great. that's That's one of my favorite movies. All right. We wandered off. I apologize. We wandered off of the 8-Track Museum, and that's where we were when Beth decided to make the acquisition. You mentioned, and I don't want you to go through every technology, but you mentioned that up on the wall at the museum, you kind of had the history of music from a recorded perspective. So can you give us a quick step through that? Well, To make it
1: succinct, let's let's stick with tapes. Okay, sure. In 1965, and I may be off on maybe one or two of these, but if not 1965, very close. You had the introduction of the 8-track tape, the 4-track tape, the 2-track tape, the cassette, and the reel-to-reel. That's five formats... Introduced to the public for commercial purchase in about a year. That's, real to real wasn't before that. That's when it's, it it was, but not but, for the public. Not really so much for the public. Oh, that's fascinating. No, that's amazing. And there, everybody remembers who knows about the eight track. They remember that came from sixty five. But uh, that's
0: never going to happen again. No, no, no. We got ten million places to download music now. But yeah, yeah. that's not going to happen. Right. And then we moved on to the C, and the vinyl was already going seventy eights before the 33s and the 45s. I'm like you. I, I started with the 45s and then we moved to CD and, and now we're, you know.
1: Well, what's ironic is in the 90s, everybody sold dirt cheap or gave away their thousand plus LP collection to replace them all with CDs. And you could, or your mother gave them away. Yeah, but you couldn't give away an LP for 15 years. And now it's completely reversed where everybody's buying back their collections and you can't give away the CD. Yes. We're a species that just cannot settle on a format. (laughs) Just can't do it.
0: So the 8-Track Museum, tons of fascinating stuff in there. You also had the machines to play them. You had some 8-Track players, right?
1: Yeah, we had some really cool, some of the best retro design 8-Track players in there.
0: Now, if you pull up an 8-track that was made in 1968 and put it in a good 8-track player, is it still going to play pretty good, or have they gotten brittle over time?
1: Depends on the track. A lot of them still play quite well. But as time passes on, the odds of that decrease because tape decays. But a surprising number of them still play.
0: Okay. So, here we have 14 records. Number one, why the name 14 Records?
1: just sounds like a lot like more than you can count on two hands okay screams selection out the wazoo
0: yes and also is a good number to buy you know it's just a good number but it's not it's not too big it's just you know it's maybe someday maybe someday i'll buy 14 records there's a ton of record stores around town why add 14 records now and why and why did you pick this location well, because I'd rather own a
1: record store than work at a record store. Yeah. yeah. And why this location on almost beautiful Garland Road? Because I wanted to be in Lakewood, but everything in Lakewood is $35, $40 a square foot now. Correct. Garland Road is now completely overpriced, but a little less so than Lakewood. It's all I could afford.
0: Right. Well, and, and I, hopefully you can stick around here because I think it's going through a transformation around here.
1: Yeah, Garland Road's actually kind of trendly, trendy now. Never yeah. saw that coming.
0: right so how long have you been open now uh a little over a year a little over a year and believe me the selection folks is is fantastic it really is well we have
1: the i'm only serious about a couple of things in here one every record's got to be in near mint condition or two there's just no filler allowed it's all music you've heard of music you've seen may not all be music you like, but there's a reason for every single record that's here to be here. Right. There's no junk. A lot of record stores that have 5, 10, 50,000 record stores, you've got to look through three rows of records to find something you've heard of or something you want. Right, right. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, put all the filler in the dumpster and just cut to the chase and have the great stuff.
0: So, like, do you have a sense for what your inventory is here?
1: Yeah, I have about 4,000 albums.
0: Okay. 4,000 different albums or 4,000 in inventory? Uh... I would say I have about 3,500 different records with some duplicates and variations. And believe me, I got to wander through. He's got some great Pink Floyd stuff. I'm looking at a Patty Smith album that I saw over there. I may get that other Pet Sounds that you have over there, maybe. We'll see.
1: By the way, when I say the word variation, what that means, if people don't know, is if I have, say, three copies of Sgt. Pepper that seem identical, they're not. I never put out two identical copies of a record. Let's say I have three copies of Sgt. Pepper. They're each going to be different in some way. One might be the first pressing from 1967. One might be a Japanese import. One might be a color model.
0: Yeah, and you have notes on almost every one of the LPs telling that story about them. For the
1: more important records, I put a large sticker, and I just handwrite
0: what makes that record unique. So to me, that kind of begs the question... You may have every album you ever wanted, but is there still one, two, or three albums out there that you haven't had in your hand and played off of your stereo system? In my
1: personal collection or in the store?
0: Yeah, personal collection, let's say.
1: I can't think of one at the moment.
0: Yeah, so you've ripped through everything you love.
1: Pretty much.
0: Does, do some of your artists that you're in con- contact with, do they say you need to listen to this artist or you need to listen to that artist from time no, to time?
1: No, they're all about themselves.
0: A little center-focused, center huh? The reason they're there is they've got an ego. They are are very good. And
1: ego is not a, a bad word in that no. context. You know, ego and mood and difficulties, et cetera, are part and parcel with creative genius. Not all the time, but much of the time.
0: Right. Well, as we were talking, we were talking about Pet Sounds when Beth was here, and I recommended the movie about Brian Wilson, the gentleman, behind, the brain behind Pet Sounds and behind the Beach Boys, and talking about his work in the studio. If you want to see a a, a brilliant guy and an ego, you need to see that movie. It's just phenomenal. It's right. a great movie. Just the, how they how he developed and created those sounds and got it just right. Okay, so you you've been around in the Dallas area for a long, long time. How would you, what would you say the music industry in Dallas was like 20, 25 years ago versus what's it like now?
1: Well, I would say it's always been a great city as far as venues and <clears throat> live performance. But I would also say it's never been better in spite of the fact that the Bronco Bowl is torn down and we've lost some other great venues. But simply because we have more venues, some of the venues of the last 10 years are incredible, like the Kessler. I love the Kessler. The Granada Theater. Granada's great. House of Blues may be corporate, but that's a fabulous room to and music
0: in. Absolutely.
1: So there's, uh, can, the fans have a lot more choices. Yeah. It's a very competitive market now, but that's good for the fans.
0: If the sound guy... And the band are in sync at the Majestic. The Majestic is a great place. If they aren't, right. in, if they aren't in sync, it's like well, it's just horrible. I mean, well, that's true though of almost any hall. Yeah, but some, for some reason, people like to go in there and they like to blast it and to a deafening point, and it's that's what's the point? Mm. That doesn't serve any purpose.
1: I judge venues <clears throat> not by how good they sound, but how hard it is to sneak backstage.
0: <laughs> okay, I live four minutes from the Kessler. Jeff Lyle's been a wonderful friend to me, so I've met some great people there. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been pretty good to me. Over Jeff there. has
1: done a lot for Dallas, more than most will ever do.
0: Yes, he really has. Speaking of which, he was—he wrote articles, maybe he still does for the Dallas Observer. And you were writing articles for the Dallas Observer. Are you still doing that? Or tell- no?
1: For about two years, I wrote a, a column called Name Dropper, which chronicled my meetings with my heroes. Okay, and I did about—I don't know—fifteen or twenty columns. And uh, let's just say they were always interested in reducing my pay, so finally I just stopped.
0: Yeah, I understand.
1: I I never let them reduce my pay, but I understand why media is a difficult world right now. Print media is difficult. They have shrinking budgets, but I would rather not write than be severely underpaid. That's valid. So I've got 15 or 20 stories people can call by dialing 1-800-GOOGLE. And ask for name dropper, and they will read them to you. I think that's how Google works.
0: Okay, I'll go with that. I'll give that a try. You got to pick ten albums that you your, your last ten al- albums that you're going to play. What are they going to be, Bucks? Osmond's Partridge
1: Family, Captain and Tennille. <laughs> Hang on, Bread. Did- yeah. Did I mention the Carpenters? Yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, Bay City Rollers.
0: Okay. What's up? five? <laughs> I said top ten, but do you, you now I, I, I asked for maybe be two. I maybe asked for too much. I maybe for. Too I much. can go five more. All right, give me five more. Uh, Bobby Sherman. <laughs> uh, some of David Cassidy's
1: early, oh, stuff. Yeah. Oh, stellar. Oh, yeah,
0: oh, yeah. Later on, but you got to have the cover of Hiva and the cover so of Rolling Stone to two. listen to that and appreciate it.
1: Three oh, banana splits and the Archies, and last but not least, Milly Vanilli.
0: Milly Vanilli, mm-hmm. very good. Yeah, all right, the good stuff. I love it's it. It's like I said, there's
1: no filler in here, and there's no filler in my life.
0: <laughs> so, so I mean, really, you'd rather listen to some Led Zeppelin or something, right? No, Led Schmed. I've
1: heard Led Zeppelin so many times. I'm totally into the 60s <clears throat> and 70s top 40 bubblegum. And I'm going deep beyond the hits. I played Bread's very first album here the other night. Did you? Okay. kind of was shocked by how good it is. Posted that on the Book of Face. And I got a lot of comments from other people who've heard it say, yeah, this is a surprisingly good record. As is the case with so many hits, with
0: Bread, you got to look beyond the hits to the deep tracks what's interesting to me is you know I, I love the who and all these albums that you've got out here those are the ones that I, I listen to what i love doing is the kessler and the granada the new people coming up now i abs- yeah. i absolutely love these guys right you know i mentioned to you the vandaliers earlier i mentioned uh, john pettigo i just think john pettigo hung the moon i just love that guy and i had lunch today with paul williams i think i mentioned that earlier and he's talking about some of the artists are, other artists they're developing and Hand-drawn pressings and hand-drawn records up in Addison. Right, they've got some great artists too. I mean, it's just some great stuff coming down in Dallas. No, the you know people my age. I'm 59, and I
1: I get so tired of it. A lot of people say over 40 and 50 love to go on about how much they appreciate good music and how much kids wouldn't know it if it bit them on the ankle. Uh, Uh, first of all the medium age group of customers actually buying Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin records, the same records that older people are bragging on that they have exclusive rights to, are being purchased by people who are 15 to 25 years old. Right, And they have a deep knowledge about these 60s and 70s artists. We need to listen to the kids, and we need to listen to some of the 30-year-olds who know a lot about music that older people don't, because they're much more adept at searching it online, and, you know, back to the Kessler, the Kessler is booked with such integrity, you could go on any given night, and as much as you want, not having
0: heard of the artist, you may not like them, but they're going to be a good artist. Oh, yeah. Well, last week I went and saw um, the Devin Ullman Band, Mm -hmm. and Devin's good, but I really loved uh, Dwayne Betts. That was Dickie Dickie Betts' son. I mean, he was simply phenomenal. The kid is good, and really... Really a nice young man. Really, And it's great super. the
1: way they're carrying on the family heritage too.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I think that's really cool. It or works. Bats and Almond is a good, good deal. It's damn good, damn good. Some of these, the original albums, are there any albums that got too high price that you were never able to acquire? It's getting harder for dealers and
1: customers alike to afford A-list vintage vinyl LPs, right. especially the more valuable ones. Uh, it's it's such a too long of a list to name any but like let's take the smiths from the 80s sure beyond they were like the beatles of the 80s to me they were so great uh i sell vintage smith pressings for anywhere from one to 150 on average because they're so hard to find and the demand is so high i'm paying a much higher wholesale cost on those records
0: i bet you are yeah so what what do you think of the 180s that come out Uh, what I generally
1: like them. I'll always prefer vintage pressings, but to each their own, I think they serve a great purpose though, as some, not all of the vintage prices continue to climb. Um, one eighties provide a somewhat affordable alternative. Let's say if a Smith's record is a hundred dollars, which it will be in almost any store that has any sense. Right. Uh, you can buy 180 for, say, $25, 30 $35. Now, that's not cheap, nope. but it's $100 cheaper. Damn right. And so, you know, that that gives people a more affordable option. Thank God the AC guy's here. Yes, you're right. Now, this is going to be quite a break.
0: Okay. All right. Well, before can we wrap up then yeah. before we let, turn him in? Where do you see music going in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex over the next three, four years?
1: Well, Dallas has been in a lot of ways on an upward graph for about 10 years now as far as arts, music, uh, new bands. I mean, the the quality of the arts scene in Dallas has gone places I never thought it would go. So I just hope it continues on that arc of improved quality and eclecticism and risk-taking, and I believe it will.
0: Yeah, and the businesses that it's created out of it, such as hand-drawn records and et cetera, is fantastic. Most
1: major cities don't even have one pressing plant. We have two pressing plants. I know.
0: Which is really cool, and then Hand-Drawn Records Nashville is is turning to them for work. They're, they've got the latest technology; it's fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get the stats wrong here, but in the old pressing plants, you, you record, a, you press 100 records, you probably got 35 of them are going to got to be smashed up and redone. Correct. With the, with this new technology from Germany that they're using, you only have like two or three, maybe four records that right. they throw away. It's a great story, Bucks. I can't thank you enough. I know the Airco's here to get. 14 records rolling full speed. You know how you can thank
1: me? Sure. By letting me give out my phone number so people can call me. Please. 214-790-5991. Call or text anytime with questions about records. We do not have regular hours. I'm basically here on almost beautiful Garland Road across from Hypnotic Donuts. Mid-afternoon, mid to late evening, Thursday through Sunday, plus many others, and by appointment. Ta-da! That's it.
0: Thank you, Bucks. Thank you. I thank you. Muddy, thank you, and we'll see you again soon. Hey, Muddy, good luck with that
1: itch or whatever. He's scratching himself. Good luck with that.
0: (laughs) I know, it happens all the time. Great dog. (laughs) (laughs) Adios, amigo. All right. For your information, besides calling Bucks at 214-790-5991, you can also follow him on Facebook at Bucks Burnett. One of his recent posts is of Jimmy Page giving a tour of his castle where he lives. That's good stuff. Bucks took me to task on the last ten albums he would listen to, and that's fair. Everybody has their own favorite music. And as you move forward in time, different albums may come and go from that very list. Now, with that said, he did tell me after the microphone was turned off that his final ten list would probably be very different from the one he gave us on the show. Let's also clarify the importance of the airco guy's arrival at the end of the show. (laughs) About 30 minutes before we started our interview, the airco in his building went out. We went forward with our conversation anyway. As we were nearing the end, I checked the thermostat. The temp in the room was about 88 degrees that is that was my warmest interview to date i went by 14 records a couple days later and i can assure you the airco is back on and running great in turn buck's landlord has agreed to pick up the tab for getting it fixed so all's well in 14 records land in last week's show i told you that i have prostate cancer in turn i emphasized that you should see your doctor yearly why well Two and a half years ago, in a doctor's appointment, I was informed that my PSA count was above normal and that we need to watch it. Then, during the course of the next 12 to 16 months, I called to get prescriptions renewed two times. My doctor's office didn't return these calls. I should have forced the issue, but basically I sat back for two years without seeing my doctor. With good prodding from my wife, I got a new doctor. He informed me that my PSA had moved a fair amount in the past two years. With everything considered, we are on top of the situation, and the odds of knocking this cancer out of my system are very, very, very high. But with that said, don't do what I did. Go see your doctor yearly. Hey, and don't forget to subscribe to the Dogger Muddy music show. <laughs> How's that for a guilt trip? Amy? Amy?
1: When listening to music, Dogger and Muddy recommend turning the volume up to 11. Till next time. Adios.
0: I cannot feel speak Punches underwater Drifting in the open sea Or is this a dream I cannot
1: see
0: Trust is to falter and to take to receive.
1: Is this a dream? I won't.